Hello and welcome back to the Schooner Pod. I'm Bobby Howard here with, well, you live in person on YouTube uh, due to the holiday season, as you all have known. Uh, and those of you who uh, strictly only follow our podcast via feed know uh, it's been a bit um, dark right now. Mainly, the holiday season has been very weird. Uh, just in general, you know, people traveling a lot more than they used to, both Jameson and Ty, as you might have known, uh, moved out of Oklahoma and uh, to vastly different places. A lot more moving around, a lot, a lot of different moving pieces going on. So we haven't been on as on top of the ball or as regular as we uh, tend to be. Um, but, you know, look, I, I just kind of looked at it and realized the feed's been a little dead and... We kind of need to talk about the Alamo Bowl. And of course, we need to talk about the college football playoff. We spent so much time hyping up week zero, all these other random stuff. The least we could do is talk about, um, you know, the premier part of uh, the season. So uh, a little later on, we'll bring on our good old buddy, Chris Eilenstein, to talk a little bit of a uh, little CFP, you know. As as some longtime viewers and listeners know, Chris uh, is a UT grad, so obviously he's pretty thrilled about things, but we'll talk about that. It'll be great. Um, but before we get into that, uh, just wanted to give a bit of time to talk about the Alamo Bowl. Um, obviously, not what any of us wanted, not what any of us expected. Uh, six turnovers will get you beat pretty much every single time you take a football field. Uh, I... I can't think of a time where I've I've seen OU turn the ball over six times and win a game. Uh, the last time they turned over the ball this much was in that putrid Russell Athletic Bowl against Clemson uh, with that Brent Venables defense that just completely stomped uh, the Sooners. So a little bit wild there. Um, and I think really the thing I want to address and the thing I want to talk about right now is there are some parts of the fan base that are taking this loss particularly hard. And I get it. We're a passionate group. We all want OU to win. We all want OU to succeed. And also we all don't want to get roasted by our friends, colleagues, and uh, of course the internet, which, you know, on that night they were getting roasted and that's, that's fair. You know, it's, it's football. It's, it's sports. That's kind of what happens. You know, people love to roast. People love to hate. And when you're a program like, OU, you, you make yourself a bit of a target, especially when you react that way. And I understand the frustration with Jackson Arnold, uh, the, 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 the freshman quarterback in his first ever start didn't have a great performance to say the least. It was pretty bad. Had moments of, of, of great you know, uh, that uh, touchdown pass to Brennan Thompson was wonderful. Same with the uh, touchdown to Nick Anderson was great. But ultimately, he is still very raw. He needs an offseason to get ready. And look, if you're judging the way this program is is going forward based on that Alamo Bowl, I think you need to understand what ball games are now, frankly. You need to reevaluate it because it's not – especially when you have a lot of people transfer out or hit the draft or whatever. I mean, our starting quarterback wasn't playing with the team because he's on Oregon now. Um, you have to realize that it, it it can change things. You have to look at things in context beyond just wins, losses, all of that. Um, and I'm not trying to make excuses. It was a bad loss. They they That is a game OU should have won. Uh, you look at the ESPN matchup predictor is, I think, 94% 
uh, towards the end of the third quarter when OU was about to put the dagger into Arizona, um, they were supposed to win that game, and they screwed up. The execution wasn't there. But I don't think you can look at that game and say the program is going in a bad spot or it's doomed or it's going down the down the toilet because it's not indicative of the entire season. There are moments in the season that weren't great. There are moments in the season where, oh, you botched it. Kansas, Oklahoma State, I mean, you name it. Uh, it happened. But that's not really the whole of the story. Um, and, you know, to me, it, it seems a little harsh to to really pin the season on uh, a makeshift team that had, you know, a, a freshman starting quarterback and a just offensive line that was blown to shreds that needs desperately needs love in the portal. <laughs> um, especially after Caden Green transferred, it just it. I think people are a little too harsh on him. It wasn't great. Definitely shouldn't be happy about it, but. Ultimately, 129 is done. The season's done. That team's done. And yeah, I get the anxiety going into the SEC. It's going, it's going to be nerve-wracking. It's going to be tough, uh, especially especially now that you know programs like Texas have obviously taken a college football playoff jump. Missouri has taken a massive leap. They were supposed to be the easy team we were playing, or uh, one of the two easy teams between South Carolina and them. So it's going to be daunting. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's going to have some growing pains. And I, I feel like I might be talking to a wall here, but my, my, what I'm pleading to you is maybe a little bit of patience. We want to keep the standard. We want, we know we all want the program to go, but in year two and into next year where there's a lot of shifting, a lot of difference, you know, happening with, uh, you know, the sec move, the schedule's going to be tougher. Uh, I, I just plead patience to you because you know the athletic department's fine. The team's fine. They, they know what they have. They know they have patience. So, I mean, it would behoove all of you, <laughs> your mental health and all of that to uh, maybe not freak out about this and maybe not go full doomsday over an Alamo bowl loss. You know, the OU program isn't built on Alamo bowl wins. There's a reason we've barely played in any of them because we're usually in a place where we don't have to play in them. And, um, I'm just, I'm just saying, no need to panic yet. I, I think there's a, a great future ahead for OU. Um, we're excited to dive into it here at the Schooner Pod as well. And uh, yeah, just stay the course. Remain patient. So, um, Ultimately, I don't think there's any use in diving into the game, the specifics, all of that. Um, it was what it was. I thought there were moments of strength, but again, six turnovers, offensive line, making as many mistakes as they did. It's garbage. But we're never going to see that version of the team again, so... No need to beat a dead horse there. So instead, what we're going to do, we're going to move on to the college football playoff. Talk a little bit of that. And uh, look, we, we we brought him on for OU Texas. He had a he, great, great episode, by the way. He very insightful guy. Um, and, you know, I, I was hoping we'd get to reintroduce him for the Big 12 title. Didn't get that because OU wasn't there. And I hate that I'm having to introduce him. Hopefully this is the last time I have to introduce him this season because if i have to do this next week for a national title appearance i might just i'm just not i'm just not nobody wants to hear that so i'm gonna hit his music and welcome on to the schooner pod chris eilenstein
Chris, <laughs> welcome back onto the show, man. It's been a wild couple months since we saw you last uh, after that Red River game, uh, one for the ages, uh, one I'm sure we don't need to dive into. But um, yeah, how have you been? Been doing pretty well. That intro kills me every time. I, I love that so much. But uh, yeah, excited to talk some Texas football. I feel like this Texas team had a little bit of like a midseason lull, which was concerning, and then really turn it on at the end. And so excited that we got the opportunity to play in a playoff game, our first one ever, and um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, we obviously know you as our Texas expert, our go-to for all of this whenever it comes to Red River. But this game, the Sugar Bowl, which we'll start with, uh, Texas versus Washington, has an added layer to you uh, because you're from Seattle. And you're not a Washington fan. You're, uh, you grew up Wazoo all the way, Washington State. So I know this has a different degree of uh, probably, probably, probably really, really want this one more than usual. Yeah, I mean, it, it adds extra value, especially when I hear, you know, people like OU fans like you talk about like the bowl games, which I get what you were saying about the Alamo Bowl. It's very insightful, makes sense with it's it's more of a glorified scrimmage when you have starters gone and transfers and all that stuff. But it hurts my heart deep down as a Washington State fan where it's like bowl games still mean something for them. It's like, you know, hey, we won the Holiday Bowl. Like, yay, we beat you, Washington. Like, good, we're four and eight, but we beat our rival. It's it's kind of sounds like Oklahoma State talk almost. But um, yeah, it's an extra layer. My whole childhood, I grew up having to hear about them. Um, if you ever talk to any Washington fans, they, in their mind, think they're on a program level with Oklahoma or Alabama. They think that beating a little brother in the state makes them a blue blood program. I don't know where that comes from, but it's it's delusion. So this game is a nice added layer of like, I, I think I put it on one of my Instagram stories where I'm like, they get to face a real program and we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah, and I, I mean, Washington... You know, it's one where you don't really think about teams on the on the in Oklahoma, anyways. You don't think about the teams on the on the Pacific Coast much. You know, Washington they've had moments, but nothing really great. Uh, but some of you fans of an older generation would definitely remember them. Uh, they infamously were a part of that Orange Bowl where uh, the schooner or the the Sooner schooner got penalized because it got stuck in front of <laughs> it got stuck after a. Uh, um, uh, PAT that uh, got you know called back for a hold, so they thought it was taunting. Fifteen yard penalty, disaster. Uh, to this day, Washington still talks about it. Uh, Is that the same version that flipped over before they made some upgrades? Uh, I think that one ended up flipping over a couple years later against Colorado. They they all flip over at some point. That's how they. That's all how every schooner dies is they flip. <laughs> um, but no, so like there, there's like a little bit of history there, but ultimately I think OU fans very comfortable with uh, supporting the Huskies. Um, but it, their, their status is a little bit weird. They're the only PAC 12 team to make the playoff twice. Um, so they have some pedigree there, but ultimately they're, yeah, they, to think they're blue blood is kind of ridiculous. I forgot you're going to be a Husky Bob going into the new year. Husky Bob I all the way. <laughs> I forgot that the OU fans were riding with the Huskies this weekend. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I forget that they made it the other time because of how horribly that one went. Um, going off of my previous point, that was when we were still in college and I'd go – I went home for, you know, break back to Seattle and everyone was like, oh, do you think 
I think we can do it. You think we have a shot to beat Alabama? And I was like, there's no we. I was like, you're not. No. I was like, you're not going to beat Alabama. Sorry. Yeah. No, that one That one was lopsided from the get-go, uh, 2016. Um, they just kind of like squ- like squeaked in there too. But I mean, very um, different team to be sure. I, I don't want to downplay their season this year. They've had a very good season. Um, and they're certainly a very talented team. I just, you know, we'll get into it, into the game a little bit later, but it's definitely a different team from the last playoff iteration, but right. To be determined. So talking about how teams have kind of changed over time, uh, Texas last time since we saw them, since OU fans saw them at Red River, obviously quite a different team. They've gone on quite the journey, um, from, losing Quinn Ewers almost immediately after in that uh, Houston game where they nearly uh, squeaked by. Um, but they're resilient. They they fought through a couple tough tough ones there. You know, TCU won. Um, Iowa State maybe a little bit, not really. Um, but Texas, you know, came out the other side, finished strong uh, with a massive win against uh, Texas Tech to finish the season and then blew out Oklahoma State. How... How have you seen this team progress throughout the season? What what's what's the biggest difference between now and October? Well, I mean, go, after the Alabama win, I think they were kind of riding the high a little bit. Um, whenever I watch Red River, unless it was last year, which was kind of an anomaly situation, it feels like Texas still has this. Even when they're a really good team like this year, they still have kind of a mental block when they play. Like OU comes out and plays extremely confident, whether they are a good team or not, and I think. OU hits way above their weight. Even like if they're a really good team, they look as like the best team in the nation when they play in Red River. Or this year, if it's a down year, they still look like an elite team, even if they're not that. So I think they were, there's kind of a mental block during Red River. Obviously, they lose it at the end there. And then that's where they kind of went on a little bit of a lull in the middle of the season, where I think the big difference from years past was those were games that previous Texas teams would lose. Like if it, they would come out hot. The other team would score a few. They'd lose the confidence, and then the other team would like kick a field goal at the end or win at the end. But this year, um, it was a little different in that even in those tough games, they always seemed to pull out ahead. And then I guess after the Iowa State game, I think they really just kicked it into gear, whether that was to show off to the playoff committee or maybe it was just the locker room was really believing like, hey, if we win out and we win this Big 12 game, we have a really good shot at the playoffs. So I think that was kind of the different mindset, especially in those last three games, including the big 12 game on how they turn it around. For sure. For sure. Um, and I, I think that's, that's something I've been impressed with, with Texas and what Sarkeesian's done is, you know, just, just, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say the tagline, but making sure they run through the tape and keep, you know, their foot on the pedal. I'm not going to say anything about gas or brakes, <laughs> but they've done a really good job at finishing, but finishing games, completing things, even when things go bad. All um, gas, no brakes. All gas, no brakes. Yeah. But here's my thing is it hasn't gone like 100% swimmingly for Texas this season. It's they, they've had their ups and downs, you know, Malik Murphy coming in at quarterback, um, obviously probably won't be with the horns due to uh, hitting the, uh, you know, transferring to uh, where did he Duke. end up going? Duke. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to me, the biggest loss of the season was Jonathan Brooks, who entering the season, um, uh, you know, losing Bijan Robinson, the running back room was a bit of a question mark. Brooks to me, like really filled that spot of like, oh, this guy's really good. How is, uh, how have the horns responded from the loss of Brooks? They've been absolutely fine. I know 
they struggled. Actually, it was because they didn't start Brooks in the beginning of the season. So the first few games, they actually struggled to run the ball. And once he became the starter before his injury, that stretch of games, he had, what, over 1,100 yards. And he was just absolutely everything you could ask for in a replacement for Bijan. And even with the loss, I believe they've been averaging over 200 yards a game the past two or three games just on the ground. So just kind of by committee through CJ Baxter, um, Jaden Blue and Keelan Robinson, both Robinson and Blue are more of like the speedy backs and CJ Baxter is, you know, a big back. He's just a true freshman. So you kind of want to ease him into it still. And then it's, it's just really been running back by committee. I know they have a couple youngsters that came in in garbage time, but they still, they actually showed some, um, some promise as well. So they, they really haven't struggled that much. And whether that's due to, you know, they have one of the best offensive lines in the country this year, or just all those running backs stepping up. I feel like it hasn't been as much of a downturn as you would have expected losing someone like Brooks. Yeah. I I think that just speaks to the resiliency of Texas uh, and where Sark has that program right now and the depth uh, it's startling as an OU fan, how they could just kind of, you know, respond that that well um so just looking at texas's opponents so far they haven't really been tested since oklahoma let's just be honest mm-hmm. uh toughest opponent probably uh, oklahoma state and even then like yeah i i don't know i i was not that Maybe big on this uh, that big game depending on how you feel about kansas state this year k-state yeah i keep forgetting they played k-state tight yeah that i'd probably go kansas state I trend Kansas. Well, no, because they're kind of bad at times. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to. That's a, that's a tricky one. Both of those teams are about similar to me. I would say. Um, yeah. So my thing is, you know, now facing this Washington team, Michael Penix is probably the best quarterback they've faced all season. You would say um, they faced some good ones. Milrow had a bad game against them. Uh, Dylan Gabriel obviously probably had the game of his career against them, though. Um, so I want to ask, like going into this, how nervous are you about the Texas defense against Michael Penix and, uh, that Washington, uh, offensive attack? Well, um, the biggest thing I've noticed, clearly they're the number one passing offense in the country. Uh, the one thing I did notice, especially watching the apple cup was the one thing Penix is really not good at is throwing on the run or off, you know, off platform moving out of the pocket. And so, I think the biggest thing, because if if you had to pick one defense, I know all the media is already saying this, but I would say the secondary of Texas is not their strongest part of the defense. So it's really going to be up to how that D-line does in getting pressure. Or if if I was the defensive coordinator of Texas, I would expect there to be, you know, Anthony Hill, a linebacker or some linebacker pressure in addition to the D-line. They're dominant alone, but then add in another linebacker. I'd expect the blitzing percentage to be up quite a bit to at least get him to roll out. He seems to make a lot of errant throws when he's – there's some some quarterbacks who just throw incredible on the run like Caleb Williams or whoever, but he just doesn't seem to be able to have that in his toolbox. And so I think another thing that gets downplayed is the fact that their center is 270 pounds – and Tavondre Sweat is 360 pounds, almost 100 pounds heavier. Yikes. So if he's – we got to assume he's getting double teamed. And so I think that frees up Byron Murphy, other defensive linemen who are – even defensive linemen you don't hear about, like Alfred Collins and them, are still NFL draft picks. 
Right. And so these guys in rotation, you don't even hear of if they get to the quarterback based off of Tavondre Sweat just taking most of the attention. I think that can play well for the for Texas. I mean, absolutely. That's that is by far one of the biggest strengths Texas has. And that's what's contributed to the turnaround. And I know everyone likes to focus on Quinn Ewers and focus on, you know, some of the flashy stuff that Sarkeesian's done. But the real difference Texas has made is in the is in the trenches. The offensive line and the defensive line has been significantly better than it has in years past. And defensively in particular, you know, Sweat obviously gets all of the headlines, but like you like you said, Collins great. You know, that it, it it's a startling uh defensive line to say the least. And you know, that point you mentioned about about Penix and how he's not quite great at getting out of the pocket, you know, being a little bit um Im- uh, improvisational. That's kind of what killed Texas uh, in Red River was Dylan Gabriel was really good on his feet, really good on the run, really good just kind of making stuff out of nothing. Um, so, you know, it, it, Penix is going to have to get out of his comfort comfort zone a little bit. And I will say, like, I, I, don't, I, I know year to year teams are totally different, but we did see this matchup last year in the Alamo Bowl. Are there any thoughts from that game that you think you can apply to this one? Um, I mean, some of the personnel was similar, but even last year, you know, Bijan Robinson didn't play, DeMarvin Overshawn didn't play, like best linebacker, best running back. So it was more just like like we just talked about with OU and Arizona. I feel like it was more of a, you know, in it was a game where Washington, I believe last year, didn't have a single draft pick which is shocking. Wild. Like, yeah. Yeah. So for them, everybody was playing last year, a little bit of a different scheme. I think a lot more sh- shorter throws, but I, I honestly don't take too much away in that. It was a Washington team that was playing most of their people. And Texas was frankly, not the same team as they are this year. And their two best players were not playing. That's fair. So, um, and just to go back on the point last year, Washington threw a lot of short passes this year. Um, they're a lot more downfield throwing. I think they average at least um, who's their top Roma Dunze. Yeah. He averages 14 or 15 yards per target. So if we go back to that pressure point, I mean, those, those routes, they take a little time to develop. And so I, I don't think Washington has faced a defensive line like this before. So if they get him to get out of the pocket and start having to make shorter throws because of the time, I think it's going to knock them out of their normal game plan just a little bit. Maybe the closest thing they played is Oregon, which obviously they won both games against, Mm -hmm. but even then I don't think it's quite applicable. Right. It's Oregon is a little, I would agree with that. They're different. I I know Dan Lanning um, defensively scheme wise, he's excellent. He just doesn't have the guys yet. He's getting it. He's getting there. Next year they might, but next year they might, but this year, I mean, he doesn't have anyone remotely close to like what texas has uh, i would say um so i i think that is a it, it is a massive uh step up in competition for uh kaylin DeBoer and um the huskies to say the least uh look we have we've, we've talked about this game quite a bit but we haven't even brought up quinn yours who you know is in my opinion i feel like he's kind of the engine behind texas's offense by far like uh, obviously malik murphy did fine he did great but Ultimately, I feel like Texas goes as as viewers goes. Um, that it, it, I don't think he's 
this is probably just kind of me be- thinking of the only game I actually saw, like <laughs> saw in person of him uh, turn the ball over a ton against OU. That's not pretty typical of, of yours, is it? I'm sorry, weren't you there last year for the 49-0 Well, no, 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 he wasn't even that impressive in that one, though. Like, <laughs> here's the thing: if you actually look at the if you actually look at the numbers, you know, he wasn't wasn't that great. You know, it was is decently pedestrian. Um, uh, sorry, regardless, we don't we don't talk we don't we don't we don't we don't talk about that, Chris. We don't we don't talk about forty nine nothing. That that's in the past. That's in the past now. Um, but Quinn yours though. Um, do you have any concerns against Washington's defense? I know nobody's really talking about them much. Right. Um, we've seen moments where they, when they look at their best, it's when they're turning people over. Uh, they did that against Oregon State pretty well earlier this season. Um, they have some decent threats, you know, in the secondary, but nothing too startling. But what, what, what? Do you, when you're looking at yours versus Washington and uh, that defense, is there anything you're? You, do you have any concerns? So I'll give you a couple little nuggets as a ball knower, as I know you guys like to throw around that term on the schooner pod. You are but, indeed a ball knower. We, we can agree with that. So I, I really think like all the talk has been on Washington's offense versus Texas defense, but I think what kind of gets missed in the point is that Texas is also a top 10 offense. Right. So Washington is a top – like they're both top 10, and I think when you're in that category – it's not as big of a difference as like once you start getting well. It really equates to Washington to have about 50 more passing yards a game, which is not that much different if you really start to think about it. And Texas has about 60-something more rushing yards. So it's it's really – it's a lot closer than you think it is. But um, one big point that I heard was that obviously Texas does a lot of play action about 50% of the time. And that Washington gives up at least, I think, what did they say? 80, at least 80 passing yards per game on average, just from play action. And so now that they face a team, that's maybe a top five play action team and runs the ball really well. So it's, it's believable because they run it really well. I, I don't see, I see a situation in which both teams score a lot of points. I just don't, I think Washington's around a 90 something overall defense. I don't see a world in which they just stammer Quinn Ewers into not at least scoring some points along with Washington's offense. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think that will be the difference maker is if they can muster, if Washington can muster a good defensive performance, you know, kind of like what we saw in the PAC 12 championship against Bo Nix and them, um, like out of nowhere almost, because if you look at this like statistical, you know, tail of their season there's a reason why they weren't favored against oregon it's because they looked bad at, like most of the season other than the games against oregon just take um, the apple cup like yeah <laughs> clearly not a good wazoo team this year i get it it's a rivalry game but clearly outmanned on personnel not nearly as good on defense and it was 24 21 they had to kick last second field goal Right, Enix looked flustered for most of the game. That's where I'm telling you, he got out of the pocket and he was just making wild throws that were not on target. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is it's just it's 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 a weird one to take because you can't take that body of work where they looked bad and say that's Washington, and you can't take their best moments and say that's Washington. They're an enigma. You don't know what team's going to show up, Um, so. I'm intrigued to see how it works out. Um, That's why I always yeah. like to look at just the last point on that. I always like to look at 
how teams are trending. I feel like college football is a lot of momentum up and down. Right. Like you, you take like a Texas season, like a year or two ago, they lose a red river and then it's like their whole season just got tanked because of this, this loss, not last year, right. two years ago, but yes, Washington started off blowing teams out and super hot. And I get that their schedule got tougher at the end, but their train kind of seemed to slow down versus Texas, you like to see, even though their opponents may not have been as good, you like to see that confidence boost going into this game. And I get it. They both have a month to to prep. So I think we're going to get Washington's best defense, but I think we could also get some of the most creativity we've seen out of Sark given a month to prep. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some stuff that Sark has had cooking. Like he is, he's one of those guys you don't want to have in the lab for a month working um because I, I mean we saw it at alabama you know he he's been able to you know he he know he he has experience coaching in the college football playoff albeit not as the head coach but he has he knows what it's like to scheme for big big games and he, I, i'm i'm terrified of watching it because i know he will have something great up his sleeve you know the amount of weapons texas has you know adonai uh, mitchell xavier worthy i mean you could go down the list it's <laughs> it's scary uh so um definitely definitely uh, startling there um okay i think we've basically covered just about everything in this one for you know just well not everything we could talk for a long time but for a loose you know ou football podcast talking about the college football playoff i think we got a pretty good one for uh, uh texas you have to set a time limit for talking about Texas. Yeah, before I, I before I start getting physically ill, of course. Uh, <laughs> so um, let's wrap it up. And I'm going to ask, what's your prediction for uh, Texas and Washington in the Sugar Bowl? So I have a high-scoring game. I actually have Texas covering. I think it's going to be somewhere around 41-34 Texas. Yeah. High-scoring can... hits the over. Both, you know, both sides are scoring. I just think maybe Texas gets either they've been out ahead and Washington gets a garbage time touchdown trying to come back or Texas puts one away late. I don't know. They've seemed pretty clutch this year, especially in the fourth quarter. Ewers has played extremely well on like road and neutral sites. And so I don't know. I, I think, I think Texas puts this one away. I, I get that. And my prediction might be a bit of copium. But I'm going to go with Washington 38, Texas 35. Uh, let's go super specific. Burt Auburn misses the field oh. goal to tie the game. Um, <laughs> I feel like he's due. I feel like he's due for a big moment. He, he's been big in big ones, but we're, we're, he's just due to screw it up. So we're going to go Burt Auburn to miss the field goal <laughs> to tie the ball game. Um, but, you know, look, it, that's what I want to happen. But if we're being realistic and looking at – you know, brass tacks, both of these teams, the location, the Sugar Bowl is going to be packed full of burger orange. You know, everything we know about that, like the tickets are all going to Texas, uh, essentially, uh, you know, shout out to the free market. Um, it just feels like it's going to be a Texas win. And I hate it because as an OU fan, you know, we've had so many years where we've gone to the national championship or been in the playoff and like, are geographically, you know, disadvantaged, you know, playing Florida state or Florida in the orange bowl, you know, playing LSU in new Orleans. So the fact that Texas could be in a national championship in freaking Houston on like their first go in forever, 
I hate it. I just, I really like, of course they just, everything lines up perfectly, but um, I'm going to go Washington again, partially probably because of the cope, but I think Texas has a really good run. Um, and I, I, I mean, I'll put it this way. Don't let them get hot. Don't let them get out of this game because if they do, they're going to win the national title uh, because these next two teams we're about to talk about a little bit, Michigan and Alabama, I think Texas Texas can beat either. They already beat one of them in Tuscaloosa. So wait, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, sorry, you cut out. I missed the part. I don't know why my computer was loading, but I missed the part after he said said Brent Auburn was going to miss the field goal. But then you came back on and you were like, I still feel like Texas might win the game. So I was like, Where's he going? Well, you said thirty eight thirty five, right? Thirty eight thirty five is my call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that lines up with the storyline for both of ours, like high-scoring game, one thing happens at the end. I, I think this one – I think oh, that, muted, that checks out. You muted a bit there. You said you think this one what now? I think both games are going to play out tight, so that, that seems like a fair assumption. I traded blows back and forth, and something happens at the end, so – yeah, I think it's going to be a great... I think this is going to be the first time we have two college football playoff games that are really, really good. Um, and let's talk a little bit, just a little bit, because I n- neither of our expertise are in Alabama or Michigan. You don't have a tie to either of those. As far as I know, you haven't gotten your doctorate at Michigan or Alabama. Uh, I don't know if there's a doctorate of sports business, but you, you, if there was, you'd, you, I'm sure you'd look into it. Um, so I think this one... I, I'm really intrigued in this one, because... Michigan, you know, to me, I, I feel like they've been solid, but they haven't really faced a team like Alabama. Ohio State, to me, isn't that team. It, 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 they have the guys, but they don't have that physicality. They don't have that toughness that an SEC team like Alabama or Georgia or um, even future SEC like out like Texas presents. So we've seen how they looked against Georgia that first iteration. They've gotten better since then. But as you know, as well, as a TCU fan, uh, and TCU, um, you know, undergrad guy, um, like <laughs> they kind of got, got messed around in that Fiesta Bowl. So they're going for, they're, they're trying to avoid going 0-3. I don't know how to feel about Michigan entering this. I, I don't, I don't feel super confident, honestly. This one, I think this one is a lot harder actually to predict, I feel like, than the other one. Because the other one, either way it goes, the high-scoring game. This one, I can't quite figure out. Obviously, Alabama is not the same team that they started the season with. And I think beating Georgia has been such a big momentum boost for them. But what I will say is I think win, and I'm not sure I'm ready to put my confidence in Jalen Milrow just yet. He's still young. He's still um, he still is a little hit or miss with throwing the ball, and so I think if Michigan's corners are really good and their secondary is actually one of their strong suits this year, I just think I'm I'm torn. Like flustered, he's not hitting his throws, and he has to start trying to like run his way out of trouble. I'm not sure that gets them. On the flip side, as you just mentioned, Michigan has basically put together three seasons in a row of undefeated and then just 
just loses their game in the playoffs. I think I think for one thing for Michigan, losing their I think it was their tackle, right, in the Iowa game. Something like that. Yeah. It actually it hurt their run game a lot more than people realized. They were averaging under three yards a carry against Iowa. And Alabama does have a good defense this year. So I think if Michigan doesn't get their run. Yeah, and I mean, that was the thing with Michigan last year is Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards were like dominant forces, and they just kind of haven't been this year. Um, and not only that, but like this, this is like the a very bad team to uh, not – be good again so they they definitely need harbaugh or whoever needs to get in the lab and find ways to spring them open but you know we've seen years where you know michigan has these joe moore award-winning type of offensive lines and then they get to the playoffs when it counts against not rutgers or indiana (laughs) or iowa or not not iowa but you, you get the point and they they don't look the same like we've seen that with with t like ou in 2018 was the same way um and it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. That's the one thing that Michigan needs to do is make sure they can run. So you don't make like Alabama needs to make JJ McCarthy beat them. He, he's good. He's solid, but he's not that good where he can beat you, you know? And that's, right. that's, that, that is right there. The crux of that game. Um, because I, I think, think, go ahead. You got oh, I think that's how I think it's how the Fiesta Bowl played out last year was like Michigan had a game plan coming in on absolutely threw a game at them that they were not prepared to play and turned it into this like march down the field, score back and forth, shootout game that is completely not in Michigan's wheelhouse, right? And once Michigan got behind a few scores, they made it closer than the game really was, but they just, from a coaching perspective, once they they just seem to see a game plan they were not prepared for, and they just completely look like a different team. And when you're going against, a, like he he probably has some stuff up his sleeve, and then you add in Jalen Milrow if he does have a good passing game, and now he can run the ball too. You know he's uh, he's kind of like an off-brand Lamar Jackson in a way. It really presents like a very tough challenge for them. Absolutely. And they haven't really dealt with running threats either, like at all in, um, you know, in the big 10. And it's, it's one of those things. I I know uh, Whitman, you know, in the chat mentioned, you know, Oh, the old Batman with prep time, uh, you know, argument. And that's Nick Saban. Nick Saban hasn't lost a college football playoff, not non-national championship college football playoff game in 10 years since 2014 uh that sugar bowl against uh, ohio state so he has been really really good when he's had a lot of time to prepare for a big game and you know i i mean it's it's scary what what you can do with that they they've refocused they've they just they when they're good they're good and when they show up for big games they're really really good and i i feel like milro did a lot of growing up uh, after that, um, after that Texas game, that was kind of his trial by trial by fire, trial by combat, or whatever. And you know, after that, I think he's 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 gotten better. He's figured it out a little bit more. Um, so I I think he definitely can show up big against Michigan and have a big game. And 
I don't know. It's going to be, this is, I, I'm, I don't think I've, I've been this excited for a pair of college football playoff matchups. Um, really since college, the, since the advent of the college football playoff. I think uh, in essence, really the only time you actually see Alabama struggle is when they play teams that actually have the personnel to like push them around just as much as they're used to pushing people around. Like whenever Georgia has gotten the upper hand on them, Texas earlier this year, it's been like you said, because they made such investments and those guys grew up and they're older on both sides of the ball. They're out so Alabama in they, Alabama. They had plenty of five-star big guys to throw them around just the same way. In theory, Michigan's O-line should be that group. They're, you know, award-winning group as an offensive line. But the question this year, they've gotten over the mental block of beating Ohio State, but what happens, I don't know, what happens when they start playing a team like Alabama who's just as big and physical as you on the deep on both sides of the ball, really? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's going to be different to say the least. Um, and I'm I'm really intrigued to see, you know, how that works out for them because it's 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 a it's a very fun style matchup. Um, just in terms of the physicality on both sides, um, you know, obviously history there with Nick Saban, you know, coaching at Michigan State for a long time. Uh, you know, being I'm pretty sure Saban was an Ohio guy too. But uh, not Ohio State, but just Ohio in general. So it's it's one of those where I, I think there's a lot to it. Um, and I mean, it's going to be so fun. It's going to be such a fun matchup. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure it'll be fun for you, too, because you get that one first. There's nothing mm -hmm. worse than being the first one. And then you're like, I don't want to watch football the rest of the day. If you lose, you're like, I, I don't want to do a hole up in a corner. <laughs> Yeah, it's the worst thing. It just ruins the rest of the sport for you. So, uh, yeah. I just went home and I was like, nope, not going out, not doing anything. I'm just going to get under a blanket and just kind of turn all the lights off. And <laughs> Look, that's how it was after Red River in 2018 after Kyler. You and you and uh, our, our friend Ace were like, come on, go out. Let's go wake up. And I'm like, no, 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 not happening. I've just been wandering throughout the the fair by myself oh, drinking wax cup beers. The, that was the one when you had the punch spilled all over you, right? Yeah, the night before the the uh, the oil barons. Yeah, you we up that like red stain all over you. It was a bad time. It was it, look that was a that was an interesting year of my life, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Oh my coupons uh, are spent. I spit my coupons. That was uh that yeah that. If you if you know you know uh, that was an interesting year of my life. Um, I think but... a close second might be uh, OU TCU last year, twenty twenty two. Oh, that was yeah, that was a full on depression one. Yeah, but it it was like at that point it was like a weird depression slash acceptance slash I, I don't know what the hell is going on. That one that one that was you all the way though because you. You uh you took a little nap right after that game, so <laughs> lights are on, but nobody's home. <laughs> yeah, no, we've we've had some good football games together, to say the least. Uh, good memories, but um, yeah, we're not gonna. I let's be honest, it's forty three minutes into this. We don't. I don't think we have a ton to say about Alabama or Washington. Um, frankly, you can find better football analysis of those two teams uh, elsewhere. But let's go ahead and wrap it up with a prediction on that end. Uh, who do you think? Who do you think pulls this one off? Hmm. I'm get. You know what? I'm gonna ride the hot hand. I'll say twenty-two to 
27-20 Alabama. Yeah. A rematch. But my last point is I I have a good feeling. I think if Texas wins this first game, I don't see them losing the national championship. I don't know if that sounds weird, but like, I don't know. It's hard to beat Alabama twice. I get it, but I think I can just see you. Just I can see the soul leaving your body thinking about that. But it'll be a bad time if that happens. Having two more recent natties than OU, just and hitting five, so they're slowly creeping towards that seven number. Oh my god! Oh my god! We can't have that happen. Yeah, twenty-seven, twenty, Alabama. Let's just say that. While I don't necessarily trust either quarterback, Jalen Milrow, I think, is one extra tool to use that J.J. I really don't trust J.J. McCarthy. I don't think he's that good. Um, and let's just say Texas-Alabama, Natty rematch. All right. I like it. I'm going to go with uh, Alabama as well. I'm going to go with uh, 24-10, but a game that's closer than that score looks. Like yeah. Alabama sitting at 17-10 and then scores that last touchdown to like put them ahead for good. Um, I think it'll be a hard fought game. I think both offenses will find a lot of opposition against really tough defenses. Uh, the physicality will be definitely on display, but ultimately I kind of think Alabama offensively just kind of has a little bit more horses than, than Michigan on this one. So, uh, so Alabama, Washington, Natty is my, is my call mainly, <laughs> ma- mainly due to Gross. the coke. Mainly due to coping, but uh, you know the Greg Sankey, Stein, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, uh, the, the the just put Stein in hell right there. So yeah, but I don't know the Greg the Greg Sankey Dream Bowl could could very much ha- pardon me could very much happen. Uh, Timothy in the chat has uh, Washington winning the winning the Natty. So shout out Timothy, good good man, good man. He also loves when I ate the fruity pebble pickle. Everyone loved. It. <laughs> oh, I loved it too. You're like, ah, you like those cats that smell food, and they're like, ah. I was actually like about to throw up. I'm not gonna lie. That was real. That was not. That was not a bit. That was like legit hell, because I think the version of the fruity pebble pickle that I made was significantly worse than uh, the one at the fair because it had been sitting all day. So I think it got really mushy. I don't know. It was bad. It was bad. Um, quick, quick little note from from Whitman here. Uh, he wants, can we talk about how Texas fans have been talking some smack on Twitter, and all the Washington fans and players are just waiting for an opportunity to run the score up? On that, go for it. I, what do you want? No, I think if anything, Penix made a comment that swirled around Instagram, and if you remember. Those Texas D linemen love to keep a hold of that bulletin board material. He said, which in how college football players are thinking, he said something like, look, this Texas defense line is really good, but it's not the 49ers or Eagles defensive line. We'll have plenty of opportunities. And I was like, oh, just save that for later. Well, they, he's not even not lying, on. though. No. D-line, but I'm just thinking, you know how people think. When they hear something like that, they're going to take any chance they get. Just don't it say was, anything. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as the Iowa State thing where the guy was like, it's going to be dark out there. You guys don't know what you're in for. And... Oh, my God. But, that's fun. Yeah, that's true. It's not as bad as 
not as bad as the Iowa State guy, but um, all right. Well, hey, that's I think all we have for today's show. Um, Chris, I appreciate you coming coming on, talking some college football. Always, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking uh, some time out of your uh, your Saturday during the holiday season. And um, I would say good luck, but uh, I absolutely want you to have a horrible, horrible <laughs> day on Monday because not only would Texas have a college football playoff win before OU, Texas and TCU would have that, and we just can't have that happen. Well, thank you for having me on, and I'm hoping that you can invite me back on next week. I Look, I'll give you my word. If Texas wins, you'll be back on January to talk. To talk. It will, yeah, it'll happen. He's going to sit there like... I need to do a... I should just do a barstool-style like hot seat for that for, for both Texas games or hypothetically two Texas games, but I don't know. Be fun. We'll see, just, we'll see how it goes. Sit, I'm excited. Just, just sit there in misery the whole time. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to today's uh, special episode of the schooner pod. Um, we'll be back regularly sometime soon. Honestly, I, I, I don't really, we haven't discussed a regular schedule, but this is the last episode of 2023. Uh, it's been a great year, a fun year. Uh, in an <laughs> up and down year, we started the year with a uh, old TPPN RIP, uh, um, and uh, ended with Sellout Crowd, kind of. And you know, it's it's been a, a bit of fun year, but an exciting year creatively, and we're excited for what awaits us in 2024 with the SEC and uh, plenty of fun uh, opportunities and exciting stuff to come. So, yeah. So for me and Chris and Jameson and Ty who are, you know, actually, you know, busy having a life and stuff. Uh, thank you all so much for watching and listening, uh, in 2023. We'll see you next time. Have a good one and a happy new year. Good luck out there. I'm surprised you didn't throw the horns up. You're just not gonna, not gonna do that. Okay. There, there you go.